there are a hundred or more, and and uh, the, a lot of the ones that I've been reading through, there was at least a hundred, uh, <coughs> and there's probably more than that, because uh, in my opinion, and I, I hope that it's yours, uh, our Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is about one thing, uh, a holy God, sinful man, and how that gap was filled, and we needed it to be filled, and if it wasn't, we would have no hope. I'm going to get to more of that later, I don't want to get too much into my sermon Turn to Luke 2.19, please. Luke 2.19. What it says is it's really an interesting thing. I think I, I preached on this about 20 years ago. I don't remember the exact time. A long time ago, farther than my memory allows me to uh, locate or isolate a time frame. But Luke 2.19 says this, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary, uh, it was announced to her by angels that she would uh, have a son. Uh, it was announced to her husband Joseph, you know, not to be uh, leery of what's going on, that it's a, a it's a God thing that's happening to her, and that she would bear a son, and his name would be Jesus. But, you know, with all these things going on, and the visitation of the wise men and and so forth, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. My question is, what did she ponder? How much did Mary know? We know what the announcement uh, proclaimed, and and other, hey, we have some more people to share those with if you got way too many of the little <laughs> verses. But you could share some of those with uh, those in the back. And we may not get to all those, but we're going to try to get to to some of them. But Mary pondering these things in her heart, you would have to assume uh, some things about Mary. First of all, she was chosen. She was blessed of God. She was blessed to be the one to carry Jesus, <clears throat> chosen of God <clears throat> and blessed. But she also had to be a devout woman. It doesn't say a lot about that, about her. We know that her and her first cousin and uh, her uncle, they were uh, connected to the priests and other things, and they were devout people by uh, all accounts. So she had to know Scripture. She most probably attended the synagogues and heard Scripture read. Of course, the Old Testament was the only thing that existed at that time. Obviously, the New Testament had not been brought forth yet. But you don't need, and take this the right way, if you'd only had the Old Testament, it would still point to Christ. It would still point to a sinful man and a need for salvation. And that's what it's all about. So the thing is, and the question I have, is it just the birth of Christ that she pondered and who she would carry, or did carry, rather, at this time, uh, or was it the final thing that Christ was brought here on earth to do was to sacrifice himself, the only sacrifice that God would accept? And then think about that, how a mother that has just given birth and the joy that it gives, all the pain that they went through and the joy that it gives to have that baby, right? And then what if she pondered his future 
and what was demanded or would be demanded of him. How much did they know? How much did they consider? Now let's go to John chapter 4, verse 9. Familiar story. I don't think it was that long that this was preached from. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. But I want to explain something here about this woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. She had violated a lot of the law being mingled with those that are outside of the Jewish faith and beliefs. And yet she knew a lot, and that's what we're going to uncover here. She knew about the Messiah. She was aware of things. Uh, she was also aware of her shame and why she was drawing water in the middle of the day and so forth. Let's uh, John chapter 4, verse 9. By the way, you know, Jesus walked 24 miles out of his way to go see this sinful woman. 24 miles, that's a long way. And, you know, if you if he'd have explained all this to the disciples, they would have questioned him right off. Of course, they did one in the city there as well. But uh, why are you going to go visit them? You know, why are you going to visit her? You know, those kinds of questions. All right. Verse nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. They they were beneath the normal Jewish society. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest or knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then uh, hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Point of history, she knew who Jacob was, which gave us the well and drank uh, thereof of himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in a clean well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Call thy husband and come hither. The woman and uh, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou uh, now hast is not thy husband. Uh, in that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Another point of history, she knew some things that had occurred in the past. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, uh, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him uh, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. 
Think of those two statements or parts of that verse there that she said. She was aware of the Messiah and she was aware of Christ that was to come. She was a Samaritan woman living in sin in another city, uh, really condemned by all of her Jewish family and friends, probably an outcast in, in other ways than just what was spoken of here. But Messiah, and that's the Greek word of Messiah here, Messiahs, the Greek version of it, but Messiah just means anointed. And uh, anointed for what? God anoints people for purpose, period. Otherwise, there's no reason for the anointing to occur. Christ also uh, means anointed. It's virtually the same word, again, anointed and appointed to do something. Christ was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her that I speak unto thee, am he. And upon uh, this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? They didn't want to really approach Jesus too much about it. But you know what was going on in their mind. Why are you here and why are you talking to her? Kind of the same thing that uh, Jesus got with some of the uh uh, Jews in the synagogue, why are you letting this woman wash your feet with her hair? She's beneath us. Why are you doing that? But Christ came down here not to uh, to mingle with the publicans and the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and excuse me, the Sadducees and Pharisees, but he came down here and dwelt with fishermen, the publicans, and sinners, which is where he needed to be. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Uh, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed to him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. But the point here in this story is that she was fully aware of the Messiah, of Christ, of the prophecies, uh, that there would be one that would come and set things right, and that uh, she needed to worship him and recognized him. Now, it wasn't her physical mind that recognized him. It was the Holy Spirit uh, uh, resting upon her, revealing these things of who it was that was in her presence. But I want to link this with that statement about Mary, she pondered those things in her heart. Because if you begin to look at prophecy, it's not all about just a future king or future kingdom. Many of those that Christ mingled with, that's what they thought. That's what they wanted, was just a king to free them from their captors, the Romans. But Jesus came to free us from not those captors, although some of that may have occurred, but to free them from uh, uh, Satan, who is our captor. Everyone that has sinned was captive of Satan until one thing happened. And we're going to talk, I don't want to steal too much thunder from the next part. But uh, the point is, Mary had to know a lot of things about the baby that she carried and gave birth to. She had to know more than it was just joy to the world in order to bring him in 
which was a joyful thing and something that was wonderful for planet earth to receive the king. But it was the savior, the Christ, the one that would give his life. That's the underlying importance of all of it. Not the birth, but the death, burial, and resurrection. However, the death, burial, and resurrection couldn't have happened without the birth. Uh, we're going to talk more about those parts uh, in, in the sermon segment. But I want to go to John chapter 1. Very familiar. <laughs> Verse 1. Now, there are those that didn't comprehend what was going on. They didn't understand Jesus or his birth. Uh, uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees were like that. They didn't understand that uh, Nicodemus, that you would have to be reborn uh, to get the indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, they, they were looking again for a physical king, uh, someone to release them from their earthly captors. John 1, 1, of course, very familiar. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by Him and without Him not was not anything made that was made and in Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. I put mine in bold here. The darkness comprehended it not. Because without the Holy Spirit revealing things, you don't know the full meaning of Christ, His life, His ministry, or His death, burial, and resurrection. They're foreign thoughts to you. Everyone else thinks of things in an earthly sense. And we see a lot about lights this time of year and other things. And, you know, the general message is, well, if you're just good, you're going to be rewarded. If you're nice, you're going to be rewarded. If you're kind, you're going to be rewarded. And that's really not true at all. And I'm not saying there couldn't be earthly benefits to being nice to someone and someone compensating you in some way, uh, being nice to you back. But that's not what it's all about, because what that ends up being is establishing meritocracy, if you're good, if you do these things, you're going to be rewarded, not just in an earthly sense, but perhaps even eternally. And that's a, it's an enormous lie. There's no way to set the balances right with your full weight of sin, which is stacked a mile high, with minor moments of being kind and nice and good. You can never set the balances correct. By just doing and having that notion of being nice. Nothing wrong with uh, being kind or being nice, but we should do that in a spirit-filled sense. And as the spirit guides, you do those kindnesses and not for reward's sake, but that's when there are spiritual rewards, if you will, and uh, the, the jewels on our crown and those kinds of things. And we still give God or Christ and Christ, I should say, uh, credit for all those things. He gets the glory in all the things that we do. But our happiness is and joy is that His indwelling Spirit is the causation for us to do those things. Right? It's not about Carl the... Of course, I'm... I'm well, I shouldn't even say this word. I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I can be... Uh, I can't even think of a replacement now. 
there are certain entities in the world that there's cartoons about that, you know, you just got a bad attitude towards people. But if you just correct that attitude and be kind, everything works out. <laughs> Little green guy running around. You know who I'm talking about. All right. So, right. <laughs> Do I have to say his word, name? All right, but the thing is, even that has the wrong message. Well, you just need to have that little bit of kindness and it changes your heart to something really big and feeling. No, you need the indwelling of the Spirit. You have to come to the cross and ask for forgiveness of your sins and, and have those cast as far as the east from the west, is from the west. And if you don't have that desire in your heart, you got the wrong idea. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a Christ, a Messiah, one that would give his life for you. And that's there is no greater gift than that, is to recognize the indwelling of the Spirit and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And all that do call upon him will be saved. All. But the key in there is how, when. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. All right, I'm going to go through some of these verses, and if you have it, uh, I'm going to kind of start in Genesis, but it's not exactly in order. We're going to do some in Psalms and Isaiah, and it'll go back and forth a little bit. But somebody has Genesis 49.10. Yes? I'm pretty sure I had that little piece of paper in there. Is that you? Okay, so now the rest of you, that was fair warning. Be, be ready. Okay, Genesis 49.10, please. Deuteronomy 18.15 is next. Please read 49.10. Think of just those words. That's back in Genesis. And in the sermon, I'm going to start farther back in Genesis 3.15. But that tells you exactly who it is that they were looking for back in this day. And by the way, there was a lot of these prophecies that were made before the law was ever given. Before anything else had been established here on planet Earth, there was still a recognition and waiting for that. Abraham saw the Lord's day and was glad. Why? Because he knew there was going to be a savior. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. <coughs> Go ahead. Again, just another wonderful prophecy. We're going to be in Psalms for a little bit. Psalms two two. Who's that? Has that? I'll come back to that. I'll circle back. Let's go to Psalms 45 too. Who's got that one? Isn't that uh, interesting that God blesses his own son? But think of that. And this, God loves his child. God loves his son. Think about all the women here and fathers, mothers and fathers, I guess I should say, that when your child is born, it's one of the most wonderful things that could happen. 
It's the most wonderful thing you can hold in your hand is that newborn baby. And all the love that he gives. We're going to sing that song later, I hope. Anybody come up with 2-2 yet? Is that you? Okay, let's read 2-2. Anointed. Well, who is the anointed? The Messiah and Christ. Okay, now Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. You know, Jesus set the captives free, and everybody in here is a, that was a captive, raise your hand. I should see all hands up, right? Because that was us. You know, there was another story, and we're not going to go into that, but Abraham going and getting Lot. He he went and went against the enemies and got uh, Lot set free. It was in a, a type of Christ that Christ did the same thing to us. He set us free. Uh, Psalm sixty nine twenty one. There's more right in that little set there, but think about those words. That's a precise thing that occurred on the cross. You know, uh, one would think in some ways, well, why didn't these educated Sadducees and Pharisees recognize who it was that was standing before them, or even once he was on the cross to think, this parallels exactly what the Bible foretold would occur. Psalms one ten one. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Think of the power in that one. Christ became part of man, Emmanuel. I'm going to talk about that again later. But he accomplished that. It was satisfying God in uh, being the propitiation accepting that sacrifice so we could have life and then just sit at his right hand talks about that a lot in the new testament but it certainly existed in the old testament was that 1101 right 11822 I'll circle back 13211 I'll circle back to two. Isaiah two four. There's plenty, so it really it doesn't make a big difference. Isaiah. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I'm looking forward to that. And it's not just the wars within the world and the devastation. It's also what's in my heart. I can't wait for this flesh to be extinguished and to be set in a new uh, glorified manner and form after Christ to put this sinful carcass behind me. Isaiah 7.14 
What a, have y'all ever seen that song? Emmanuel. God with us. Okay. It's a good song. I was thinking about leading that. We might do it later. Isaiah 9 7, just a few verses down. Amazing, isn't it, how many of these there are? And we just started. Did we end up finding those others in Psalm? 110.1 and 118.22, I think. I read 110.1. Oh, you read 10.1. Okay, 118.22, do we find that yet? All right, we'll just keep going. Isaiah 9.2. That was nine two. Isaiah nine seven, just a few verses down from that. Oh, there we go. Oh, we already read that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Isaiah eleven ten. It was those Psalm people that threw me off here. Isaiah eleven ten. You know, an ensign, that's a military thing. Uh, when that's flying, you know that the leaders are still there and you still have a job to do. Uh, fight the battle and do the things. But you gather around that. It causes something to uh, create this desire to, to fight. And now our fight in warfare, first of all, is with ourself. Uh, that, uh, again, that simple person inside the other nature. But also is to, to fight all the things of the world through the power of Christ and uh, that surround us. But he is our ensign. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. This makes a wonderful sermon too. It by the way, he was the builder of the stone that the or the stone that the builders rejected. They didn't want to lay onto that same foundation of that cornerstone, which was Christ. They didn't recognize it. They rejected that. And uh, there's so many other things that go along with that, how they uh, took that out of the quarry and made that the cornerstone. It was set aside as they began to create all the other blocks, but they would all go, always go back to that cornerstone so it could be set. And then everything that was lined up to that was set correctly. And that's what we're looking for. We want to be lined up with the chief, chief cornerstone, which is Christ. Isaiah 49.6 There's only one definition of light to the Gentiles. Only one. And that was Christ Himself. Do you want to keep going or do we want to take a pause before church? I only have... Three more pages of these. 
Let, let me just read through them real quickly so you'll know, right? Isaiah 55, 4, Isaiah 59, 16, 61, 1, 62, 11, 63, 1, Jeremiah 23, 5, Ezekiel 17, 22, uh, Daniel 2, 34, 2, 44, 7, 13, Daniel 9, 25, Micah 5, 2, Haggai 2, 7, Zechariah 3, 8, 6, 12, 9, 9, 11, 12, 12, 10, and 13, 7, all in Zechariah. Malachi 3, 1, and there's more than just that one verse in Malachi and some of these as well. But these are the center verses. Psalm 45, 7, Isaiah 11, 2, Psalm 41, 9, and 22, 1. Again, Isaiah 53, 9, 53 is just a wonderful chapter, as you know. Uh, Hosea uh, 11, 1, Psalm 31, 5, Isaiah 53, 12, uh, Psalm 22, 6 through 7, Zechariah 6, 13, Psalm 16, 10, and Isaiah 43 is where I stop, 40, verse 3. Uh, and I only copied probably about half, I think, of some of the ones that I, I read through. And it's just amazing when you go back the whole Old Testament in, in its entirety, in some form, points to Christ, points to the Messiah, points to the one that would be blameless like a lamb sent before the shearers and open not his mouth. And there's just, it's all over. And it's a wonderful thing. It was, it, it, to me, it's because the darkness comprehended it not. And I read that part of that one verse. So those that didn't need a Savior, which was really when Christ said that to the Sadducees and Pharisees, it didn't mean, well, you're good to go. It meant because of their own self-righteousness, they didn't recognize because of the darkness in their heart who Christ was and that they needed Him. They thought wrongly, like a lot of, when I began this, if you do good, you're rewarded. That's what they thought. I'm just going to follow the law and I'm good to go. God's going to reward me. That's what the rich young ruler thought. He couldn't give up his wealth and riches. Christ knew exactly what question to ask him. What do you do to follow me? Well, give up everything you've got. He went away sadly. Why? Because he didn't want to give those things up in order to follow Christ. Darkness was still in his heart. Darkness comprehended it not. And what we're most thankful for is the darkness that was in our heart, God removed it so we could see the Savior. And that's the most important thing that it ever occurred, is our recognition of the sacrifice that was given for sinners. God bless you, and we will return in about eight minutes. She pondered those things in her heart.